Safety, dependability, and power. Chevy Silverado isn't happy unless the work is hard and the day is long. No wonder Silverado is America's number one best-selling retail pickup truck. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of Paul Lisnick Behind the Curtain. Yeah, this isn't a, a regular uh, podcast that you hear from me. This is because the show we're going to talk about is, uh, oh, it's only playing until May 1st at the Victory Gardens Theater. And it was so powerful and so fabulous that I, I didn't want to delay in getting word out to you about this wonderful show. It is called In Every Generation. It's written by Ellie Viterbi and directed by Devin DeMeo. I hope I'm saying those names right. I'll get corrected here in a moment uh, if I didn't. And joining me uh, are two of the cast members of this fantastic show. We'll tell you all about it. Esther Fishbein, who plays Yael in this, and also joining me, Carmen Roman, who plays Kind of grandma, I suppose, in parts of this, but in other parts, not grandma. <laughs> uh, Paola, and she's with me. And the artistic director of Victory Gardens Theater joins us, Ken Matt Martin, my old friend. And if you love listening to Ken Matt, just go back in time on the webpage and you'll find my interview of just him when he first came on board as the artistic director. Welcome to all of you. Congratulations on a fantastic show. Thank you. Thank you. Esther, let me come to you. You're the, you're the kind of the younger generation in this show. And, um, yes. this I know is your Victory Gardens debut. So let me turn to you to, to tell our listeners, um, what is in, in Every Generation about? So, In Every Generation is about a Jewish Italian family over the course of Passover. And it really takes place, like the first act takes place in about 2019. Uh, pre-pandemic world, um, and my character comes home for the first time from college, from Yale, and it's really our first time coming together as a family again for Passover over this meal, and some easy, some harder topics are discussed, um, and we go through a lot together, and then you get the benefit of being able to go back in time a little bit and, and get to know our grandparents as they are younger, um, and then luckily we also get to jump forward a little bit as well into about 50 years, not 50 years, uh, excuse me, 30 years into the future to about 2050, and we get to see what life is like for Jews uh, later on in the world as well. Carmen, let me come to you next, because, you know, one of the things that kind of surprised me about this, when you see a, a, um, a, a play uh, about, of course, Passover, so it's a Jewish family, and you also think that when they're coming from some old country, whatever that old country is, because we all have, um, it's going to be Russia, it's going to be Germany, maybe Poland. Um, I found it interesting that here it, it taps into Italy. So I'm just sort of curious, as you prepared for your role as Paola, you, you are the Italian in this show. First of all, do you speak Italian? Because I, you sure convinced me you did. And, and secondly, what was the, the, um, the to your, your knowledge, sort of the reason for making it the Italian background? Well, uh, I don't speak Italian. I do speak Spanish and I speak French. So there's a little bit of uh, an ease of sort of getting the musicality of the language and some of the meanings, although in rehearsal I kept wanting to say some of the words are so close, I kept trying to say say them in Spanish instead of Italian. But, uh, you know, all that got learned. And the reason it's an Italian Jewish family is because that is Ali Viterbi's family. And she actually, um, Paola, comes from Yugoslavia. So she's an Italian living in Yugoslavia who gets ousted by the Nazi. Uh, excuse me. She's a Yugoslav, uh, gets ousted by the Nazis and goes to Italy 
as uh, probably about six years old and then uh, is protected in the DP camps and then um, goes to, you know, meets her future husband and goes to America. But the Italian, I, it really does come for her from living in a convent in Italy. Well, now that makes total sense, and, and I get it. Ken, Matt, let me come to you, um, because you're artistic director, but you're also the voice of the playwright for me uh, in this show and of the, of the director, who I know you work with so well. Um, so I, I wanna, here's one thing I think has to be said up front. Look, I related to it. I'm Jewish. I related to it in a very personal way for all the obvious reasons. But I think it's important, important that listeners understand this is not a play only for Jewish people to come to the Victory Gardens Theater to see. Yes, and completely, Paul. As as I think you know, this production was announced prior to uh, my arrival at Victory Gardens uh, last year and was one of those shows that got caught up like many others in the the midst of the the unfortunate shutdown that came with the pandemic. And so when I came on board, I was kind of given the list of all the things that had unfortunately um, maybe been committed to that couldn't move forward. And when I read this play, it just completely knocked me, you know, uh, out of my seat. And I was so moved and taken by just the scope and the scale of Ali's beautiful, beautiful storytelling and the hyper-theatricality of it as well, the moving back and forth between different time periods. And at the end of the day, I think anyone who is, especially of any marginalized identity, um, can certainly relate to to the things that the family's discussing. But even more importantly, anyone who has family, (laughs) we all have some version (laughs) of family things and issues, um, I think can relate to the story of those, those two sisters in particular and, and, and the generational divide between um, mother, grandparents, and the, the young women as well. And so it's just a beautiful play. And watching Ali and Devin work on it together in this beautiful cast, I'm a little biased, obviously, but both Esther and Carmen, uh, along with their other wonderful cast members, have just really done some incredible work. And it's, it's a joy to share it with everyone. And I hope anyone who gets a chance to see it um, is able to take something from it that, uh, you know, makes them want to hug their family a little bit tighter. I agree. And by the way, it's even more complex than I think I'm, I'm putting out there because, of course, um, Esther, who plays Jael, your sister, uh, Deb or Devorah, uh, is played by an Asian actress. And I say that because we never really get a lot of detail about this, but it becomes clear that she's probably been adopted at some point in the past. So, so your family, uh, Esther, it's a pretty complex family. It's not even just your typical family sitting around the Skokie table like I grew up with. Yes, of course, yeah. My my sister, who's wonderfully played by Sarah Lowe, is incredible, and, and her character, Deborah, is, or Daz, as we call her, um, is adopted from China. Um, we talked about maybe when she was about, like, uh, a baby or, like, around one years old. Um, and she and she comes and, and is, like, a part of our family. And um, and my character, Al, is, has gone off to, to college, to Yale, so, like, all the way across the country from L.A. And, um, and our mother, Valeria, is also going through some personal things that, without any spoilers, um, you find out in the play. Um, so it's, it's not your typical family. That is definitely correct. Like, everybody has their own story. Everybody is really trying to figure out who they are and what their place is in the world at that moment. And Carmen, I'm going to ask you a what question, and then Ken Matt, I'm going to have to follow up with the why question. So Carmen, the what mm-hmm. question is, uh, and you know, Esther told us up front that, yes, we see this family in different, uh, uh, in different parts in history. And, and, you know, so the question to you is, I want you to explain to the listeners, this does not start at the beginning of time and work it's up to present day. In fact, it 
does almost quite the opposite of that. It works backwards and forwards, and time moves around. Yes, it does almost exactly the opposite. We start in about 2019. We go back 50 years to when the grandmother, Paula, is 20 years old and meets the grandfather, and uh, they, they've just gotten married and come to America, and beginning as Jews in America. Then we go, as uh, Esther described, uh, into the future about 30 years, so beyond our time, to see where the playwright envisions the world is, really. And then we go way back in time to when you know, the Jews were leaving the Egyptian deserts, headed for Israel, for Pete's sake. So there's that wonderful sort of... Uh, all-encompassing sort of epic saga. But I must mention that it's very funny, too, right, Paul? There's a lot of great humor in the piece and a lot of any family sitting around a dinner table having a kind of uh, relationship happens. I mean, the two... Actually, the two girls remind me of my nieces who fight bitterly and love each other deeply. So, I mean, there's just a lot of that wonderful sort of family sense that you get from seeing the play that I think, like, everyone can relate to. (laughs) Yes, it is very funny all the way through. So absolutely, there's drama, but there are funny moments. I won't give anything away either, but it, it may be that the funniest laughs, I'm not sure if you call them Easter eggs or what you want to call them, but in, in, the, in the scene that takes place sort of in biblical times, a couple of little, I'll just say props, that show up are just laugh out loud funny because you get what they're doing, you get the point, and it is just such a great nod that I loved it. So Ken, Matt, I promised I'd come to you for the why. If I was writing a play, I would have said, well, I'll start at the beginning of time, and I'll, I'll follow this sort of this family and the, the struggles of not just the Jewish people, but of every people's. I'll, I'll follow it through time. So the why question to you, why do you think that Ali wrote this play uh, in a way that sort of goes back and forth? So we're present, we're back, we're future, we're back. Yeah, well, you know, I, I admittedly am always hesitant to try to ever speak for, for the great Ali Ruturbi because she's, she's so great uh, in talking about these things in her own words. So I, I, I think in terms of the best way I can speak to it in terms of the why, in terms of what we both discussed and what I think is true across the theater right now is that um, there are many, many writers right now as they are figuring out how to tell stories, and in particular a story like this one that's so deeply personal, right, to Ali and her own journey, that are embracing the opportunities to uh, give uh, folks the opportunity to to, to see the scope and the scale, right, of what is life. And it could have just as easily been a play that was just the one night at the one-seater table in 2019. But I think the whole purpose, right, of the play is talking about that in every generation, you're any myriad of challenges that this family and the members of it are going to face. So by thinking of it in a much broader context and scope from literally generation to generation, uh, it's just a great theatrical tool. And it's also what makes the play, I think, really great and really exciting. It's one of the reasons why when I read it and was able to choose between all the very things that we had already kind of pre-committed to before I got here, I said, oh, we definitely want to produce this. And I'm so proud to have it on our stages right now. I'm proud that we are able to have it up during the holiday season so that hopefully people who've just celebrated it can now come see it and people who got to see it before the holiday um, were able to hopefully have more meaningful conversations at the dinner table, at their own theater table as well. And it's just it's so unexpected to watch it play out that it's just, it's just such great fun when it does. And, but you have to be able to get it. I mean, I, I, you know, I, there are some people who don't quite get you know, what's going on with that, but, that's, but hey, that, that's up to them. So, Esther, let me ask you, I mean, I think a play like this, 
and I, Carmen, sure enough to ask you too, but is, is it different for you to, to do a performance? And you've done, look, you've done Henry V, you've done, you know, all sorts of things, child's play. But when you're doing a play that actually perhaps goes into your historic roots uh, as a person, you know, does that make a difference to you? Or is it like, no, I'm an actor. I, whatever the script is, that's what I do. I, mean, I don't relate to it personally, and, and no matter what the script is. Yeah, so actually, I, I personally feel that I'm very lucky with, with this script. I fell in love with it immediately, and I uh, actually read it about two years ago in the beginning of the pandemic in about April 2020 when, um, when Victory Gardens originally announced their season. And I remember sitting and reading it and, and was so captivated and enthralled by it because I just thought that I could see parts of myself and every single person in this family and every person on the page. And, um, and I personally like had such a deep connection to it because I grew up in a Jewish family like this who has family members that talk over each other and, and need to get their point across and are kind of all spitfires in their own way. Um, as well as like, I am also personally adopted, um, from Fort Lauderdale. And so it was very amazing to see, like a young woman um, being portrayed uh, through being adopted and in a family and what that's like. And it was honestly like the most truthful thing that I've ever read in so many different realms of my life personally. So I feel like I'm very lucky to be able to draw from my personal experiences and my personal life to be able to like connect to this play and tell this story um, in the best way that we can. Thank you for sharing. I did not know that part about your background. So that, that really is you know spectacular that you shared that, and I appreciate that. Carmen, you've done, I mean, I know you've done so many versions of Angels in America, Native Sons, such deep shows. Such, of course, you've also done My Fair Lady, so you're all over the board, which is fine. But I'm sort of curious, when you tackle a role like this, you're not surrounded by the, you know, the kind of Angels in America ensemble, that there's, there's so much attention on the characters in this show, every one of you, as, by the way, we all sit in the round watching you. Can you talk a little bit about your preparation for a role like this? And, and now maybe even, you know, knowing some of the things that you perhaps did about other characters realize like Esther's. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, well, for me, uh, just the whole scope of it, as we discussed, was was challenging. I thought this is epic. It's amazing. I fell in love with it, as did Esther. And I love the idea of um, using one actor to go from 80 back to 20, which is an act, beautiful acting challenge that I was absolutely thrilled to do because it just, anytime you have a stretch like that, it's, it's exciting. And the audience knows that I'm that same actor and that I'm not really 20 and I wasn't really 85. <laughs> so, I mean, it's thrilling to get to, to, for a playwright to write something like that. And so they hear, okay, go. Um, and so it was everything of the challenge that I thought it would be and, and more because it's just, I keep finding things in the script that are so beautiful. She's a, She's absolutely, absolutely a stunning writer, and there's so many lovely gems in there that that are still to discover. I'm sure. So she she's really man, look out for her. She is something else, mm-hmm. honestly. And of course, Devin, who I've worked with before, and is is so giving and so generous, and creates such a wonderful room of safety and love. So all of that allows you to sort of take all the leaps you want to take as an artist. 
phenomenal, really. Yeah, I love that you acknowledge the fact that you know it is it is the same actors playing these roles throughout time. I imagine it, you know, but it, I'm sure it was was Ali's desire. But I suppose there could have been different casts, right? Different people playing these roles. Certainly, when it, when the time changes were were so significant, but the fact that you all get to just you know change the costume, change the wig, change the whatever, and play that role is amazing. And Matt, this is the first time I can remember seeing a show at Victory Gardens that is played in the round. Um, no major feat. I mean, no 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 little feat. I should say because. You didn't just set up. I mean, I've been at theaters where they do it in the round, and they they set up card chairs that they probably had in the you know in the in the in the room upstairs where they hold the receptions, and they set the chairs up. You didn't do that. You uh, you had actual theater chairs moved to the other side of the stage to create in the round. So number one, who made that decision? Was that a playwright? Was that you? Who's making that? Was the director? Who makes that decision? Number two, what a pain in the behind was it to make that happen? I'm actually really glad you asked me about that, uh, Paul. Uh, to answer your first question in terms of whose decision it is, you know, I, I love to demystify these things and the process around it. Uh, first and foremost, this is it all generates with the artist, right? And the the impetus for it and the idea comes from our brilliant, brilliant co-seating designers, Lauren Nichols and Andrew Boyce, um, who have this idea and this thoughts along with Devin and the design team. And I actually remember now many many months ago when they first brought it to me and they were like nervous you know they they because they're expecting it, me as the artistic director who ultimately gets to to kind of approve i don't necessarily approve their design or what they do per se i along with the rest of our artistic team have to figure out okay so can we afford that what does that mean how does that thing work i was enthused immediately because i hate proscenium if i'm being very candid i'll probably get in trouble for saying that but i love it when we can you know experience theater in more immersive ways and in opportunities to kind of uh, be in different orientations instead of this thing that says you are meant to sit here and watch and we are meant to be up here and play I, I love it when we can mix and blend those worlds so i actually encourage him to go further and you know I will be the death of me, I'm sure, at some point, because every single artist who's now seen the photos is like, so can we do da-da-da-da-da? And it's, a, you know, a unique case for this one because uh, removing those seats and putting them on stage and then the only other thing that they wanted was sand and a table and a floor uh, is affordable <laughs> within budget. I don't know that we could afford to uh, to do that whole round seating a thing if people also want a big elaborate set in the middle of the, of the roundness of it. But it was really exciting. Um, and the decision was a group decision where once we literally found out we could afford it and the fire marshal was okay with it, and that's what the artists wanted to do, we wanted to support that impulse. Indeed you did. So, Esther, let me come back to you. So let me follow up with this sort of in the round. I don't know in your past performances how many are in the round, but, of course, that, that becomes a director's challenge because you, you, you can't ignore the people behind you. You can't, And so the, you have to be playing to the front and the back and all over. But how did it influence you knowing that wherever you're standing, wherever you're looking, there are people 360 around. Well, not quite 360, but there's people on both sides of you. Yeah, I I personally love it. Um, I know I know some people don't, but I I personally really do love it because it's it's so fascinating to me because it it really does feel like we're in in the room or in the dining room or in the the house that we're like in because it's it's not as if we're like only playing to one side. It's it's everybody gets to see all of us and, and every single part of, of how we're portraying these people and these characters and, and just living through that. And I think it's honestly actually really beautiful because it's like they get to go through that journey with us. And the really cool thing that I really enjoy about having, uh, doing it in the round here is that they're 
on stage with us and they get to go through this meal with us or multiple meals with us every night or or somebody like you Paul who like wants to go home and have brisket or things like that like those are those are kind of the joys for me to be able to find in those um to be able to be like oh you're you're having this meal with us you're you're sitting with us at the table um and I and I love like being able to tell a story like that and and personally take people on on that kind of journey let me follow up on the food thing esther i'll stay with you on this that does look like you're getting real food every night and and it even might be hot because you actually eat some so number one is it all real food it's warm and good to eat or number two are you saying maybe we could do chicken tonight so most of it is um, is actually real food, um, wonderfully made by our prop designer, uh, Caitlin. And um, so everything that we're eating is all warm. It's cooked. It's amazing. It genuinely tastes very, very good. Um, so when I'm personally eating the food, like I'm actually enjoying eating the food. So it's, it's definitely a plus side for sure. Right. And aren't you a vegetarian for real? I'm a vegetarian for real. So the funny thing was I told, because uh, Caitlin wasn't sure on the best way to cook the tofu, so I gave Caitlin my personal recipe on how to cook the tofu. So every night she's been cooking it um, the way that I make it at home. So it, it feels very comforting <laughs> to me. Oh, how great that is. See, Ken, Matt, maybe in the future when you do a show like this, we can put our menu requests in, and then we just have the props person cook things up, and we all eat our I'm telling you, this is a, bring me on board because we're going to change everything. Carmen, let me come to you. Um, uh, something I don't want to ignore about this show or forget to talk about for this show. Look, the show is filled with all sorts of secrets. We even we even hear about secrets and being able to keep secrets and stuff. But one of the things that I kind of hit me after I leave as I, I talked about it with, with my guests and stuff is that there are secrets in the show. Some come out, some don't. And there are secrets we learn about that that are, are like permanently buried. And, and in so many ways, people that have lived through the Holocaust, people have lived, they, they do uh, go to their graves with certain secrets, Carmen. And so that happens in this show as well. Yes, it does. And very beautifully, doesn't it? Isn't it wonderful the way she reveals that, that, that one secret you're talking about and that in, in, and, and in the scene that goes forward in the future, the, that, that family still believes that, that, that secret didn't come out. It comes out just for a wee moment and then it's buried again. Right. It's absolutely stunning that, but I think, you know, I think there should be some solace in that the secret did get to come out because I don't know, I've, I've had things like that in my life that, that I I held on to, And when it finally came out, it was such a relief to be able to say it, to be able to share it. And that does happen in this play. And, uh, and I think it's, it's, you know, again, family secrets and those kinds of things that, who knows how many things people actually do take to their graves, but uh, it's kind of it's kind of beautiful the way that comes out. And if you think back in retrospect to the first scene, you're like, oh, I mean, that's probably a bit tricky. I think about it because I do it every night, but it, it's really it's so human and so beautiful the way that she's brought it up. And suddenly, let me just go back to what we were talking about before. It suddenly occurred to me that's probably why she had it go in time the way it does because you see this 80 year old woman and then you see her play 20 whereas if it was reversed you'd be sitting there the whole time the first act going that woman ain't 20 (laughs) i think it's fascinating that she did that right I, I also love the fact that because we know what happens in the future through the way the play is told, as we see earlier, we know what's coming. You don't. Your ki- that is to say your characters don't, but we do. And so it's, uh, it's yeah. sort of fascinating to, to 
hear these things, hear the secrets, hear all this, and say, I know where this goes 30 years from now. Just amazing. Ken, uh, 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 let me come back cool. to you. And First of all, again, congratulations to you. You know, as we watch the history of the the good, uh, the good theater, geez, as we watch the history of Victory Gardens Theater from uh, Dennis Zaychik, who kind of created the whole thing many, many years ago, and Che Yu, and now you're on board. So we're seeing some different things. And I'm not going back to our original interview, which, again, I encourage people to, to listen to, where you even explain the origin of the name Ken Matt. Um, but, but... In terms of the challenges here, the going in the round, the things that you've done, is this the kind of thing we're going to see more of? Are you liking what you're doing? Are you going to say, no, this was a good bite of the apple, but I think we'll go back to tradition, which I don't think is going to be your answer. It's <laughs> getting warmed up, Paul, right? Like, um, right. Listen, this is our first season back, regardless of the fact that it also happens to be my first season in this role. It actually uh, was a year uh, yesterday that I've been in this role to the day. Um, it feels like uh, the kismet that we're back here, Paul, again, because it was probably around this time last year that we had that other conversation. Yes, I think going forward, what you can expect to see is what our mission says, which is that we do innovative, new, bold works that are a reflection of our world on stage. And what that means to me is if a group of artists like this one are, you know, working on a play about sitting around the theater table uh, and then they say they want to actually put the theater <laughs> around a table and be like, okay, if we can do that and explore it, it's my job to say yes. And I like to say yes to artists. I'm also good at saying no when it's something that doesn't make sense. But uh, I'm going to always operate from the place of trying to say yes to those artistic impulses because that's our job as a new play theater is allow the artists to drive and push where it is that we go and what we do. And I think that was true for Dennis, as I've discussed it with him, and it was certainly true for Che. And I think I'm just hopefully continuing in their legacy if I'm so fortunate to live up to either of them. So, yeah. Well, you, you, you are creating new worlds, and that's what I love to see as somebody who's kind of lived through all of those, those changes. And even this season, I mean, the first play that brought you back dealt with issues like, you know, African-American father-son relationships, homosexuality ties. Now we go into, you know, the family secrets and the depths. So what I love so far as the season unfolds for us is that clearly you're not afraid to be tackling tough issues, controversial issues, issues that have the audience walking out and talking about what they've just seen, which, which I did when I left with my guests from, from this show in every generation. It just kept us talking afterwards. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. That's literally, as I said, just what the mission actually states, you know, and I look at my job in this role as a service job, right? I am here to be of service to these two great artists here on the phone with you, of service to Ali, to Devin, and to this community by way of just creating space and opportunity for artists to explore all the reaches of our society in whatever way that they want to explore it. So, again, I'm truly, truly just hopeful that folks will continue supporting us and coming and seeing everything that we do. Because, as you said, there's a wide eclectic array that's intentional. That's what the mission says in terms of it being our world on stage, and that has to be inclusive of as many people as possible. So I'm hopeful we can continue doing that good work. Mm-hmm. And if you do bring Fiddler on the Roof back, I'm happy to, happy to play Tevye to Carmen's Golden. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and and Esther, you can be, Esther can be Hava. I don't mean to keep her out of the show. Yes, I'll be, any one of the daughters, I'll be Hava or Huddle or, or Huddle, any one of them, please. I was going to say, Esther, <laughs> like, this is the dream cast. I just always have wanted to play that role in that scene when they threw my circles back as a ghost. I'm like, I don't think that's allowed, but I'd do it if someone let me. So, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, Ken Matt Martin, the artistic director of Victory Gardens Theater, Esther Fishbein, Carmen Roman. It just continue to break legs every night. This show only plays through May 1st. There isn't that much time left. And um, I just I encourage everybody to go to victorygardens.org. Check this out. You'll be glad you did. You'll be talking about it for hours to come, if not days to come, after you see this show in every generation. It's a show for people of all faiths, of all backgrounds. It will get all of you talking. I thank you all for your time. VictoryGardens.org is the website to check it out. Thank you, everybody. Break legs. It's a fantastic show, and I congratulate you and extend my congratulations to Allie. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Well, if you want to know more about what we've talked about here, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Paul Lisnick. That's P-A-U-L-L-I-S-N-E-K. And I'd love to hear your comments or topic suggestions for future podcasts. You can also go to my website, paullisnick.tv. And hey, don't forget to hit subscribe on WGN Plus and iTunes. And tune in each week to hear more Insider Scoop coming to you from behind the curtain.